0: I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Once Upon a Gene, and I am your host, Effie Parks. My guest today is such a friendly little thing, and I think you're really going to enjoy listening to our conversation. She has a rare genetic disorder called Allergil syndrome and was diagnosed at six months old with no prognosis. As most of us have been told, we know more about the diagnosis than the doctors do, as her parents were. Anna is a vivacious 20-year-old living her best life, something she didn't think was possible when she was younger. She's the head of the program's and initiatives at OurOdyssey.org, where she helps to empower young adults who are impacted by chronic and rare diseases. These spaces for support, especially in this world, and especially with this age group is so important and is something that has been somewhat overlooked in the past. I say it all the time, but when you can find people who get it, you feel seen, you feel comforted, whatever your obstacles are. If you know a young person living with a chronic or rare disease, tell them to check out odysseys.org. And now for my awesome conversation with the bright and shiny Anna Laurent. Hi, Anna, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm doing well, I'm doing well. It's the beginning of the week, so here we go again.
1: <laughs> I understand that feeling.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm really glad to connect with you, so welcome to the show and thanks for sending me an email and pinging me and letting me know that you're out there. I'm so excited when I get to meet new people.
1: Yes, no, definitely. I am glad that you were open to it. (laughs) It felt kind of funny. I'm always
0: sending out a beacon that if anyone wants to talk to me or if you have a story you'd like to share or, you know, any type of advocacy that you're really into, just email me, find me anywhere. I'm just always open to hearing anything that anyone has to say because I'm here learning too.
1: I love that so much. It's part of the reason why I wanted to reach out was like how open and like real you are i was like "Mm, i feel like this is this is a good fit
0: (laughs) well thank you i'm really excited uh first i know you've had a couple really exciting things happen in your life over the last six months so do you care to brag about any of that
1: (laughs) not at all uh the bragging part is where you caught me no um A couple of different things that have happened. I am the first employee of a nonprofit called Our Odyssey, which is something I am incredibly passionate about and have been volunteering with with them um, really since last summer. And they focus on supporting young adults impacted by rare and chronic illness between 18 and 35 and just really in hopes of like improving their quality of life and so just bring that connection in that community that that's kind of missing and so I am the first employee which is just so incredibly exciting to be a part of that team officially is just incredible.
0: I'm so happy for you. I love that our odyssey is getting to the point where they're able to hire people and even build their network out. It's so exciting. And I think the advocacy for young adults is such an important group to embrace and kind of help carry through. You know, those are tough times. You don't necessarily relate to a lot of people and you don't want to talk to your parents that much for a while. And growing up in general is hard and growing up with a rare disease and not really feeling like anyone knows anything about you on top of the regular teenage angst, is something I can't imagine.
1: Yeah, no, it's such a need. And it's funny because when I talk about our odyssey, you know, I would love to to say that, you know, I do I do the work with them, you know, because I I want other young adults and those like becoming young adults to have this support system and, you know, for their journey to be a little bit easier, you know, than than mine has been. And in reality it's I mean, yes, that's a huge part of it, but honestly it's it's also for myself you know i'm 25 and i wish something like our odyssey had existed while i was in college i think it would have made a huge not think it definitely would have made a huge impact on my journey through college and navigating young adulthood which like you said is already like a lot (laughs) when you're healthy (laughs) and then you add some rare conditions or chronic conditions on top of it and it just really spices things up for you (laughs)
0: Well, that's what I love so much about the young adults who do have rare disease who are coming up in this time, right? With social media and just more openness in general, I feel like, to being vulnerable and sharing stories that this is finally the time that you can kind of embrace this idea and give these young adults a community.
1: And I just think that's so
0: exciting that you're a part of it.
1: Thank you. Yes, it is. Oh, my gosh. It's still mind-blowing that I get to be a part of you know something that I that I was searching for and have needed for a while and to get it get to be a part of filling that void is just absolutely incredible
0: yeah I always kind of equate finding my rare disease community to like my shoulders finally relaxing for the first time in a couple years
1: Oh my gosh, that is such a good like metaphor. That is exactly what it feels like. Yes. Of like, you know, it's funny the way I've described it before is, you know, with the young adults, we have that phrase like fake it till you make it. And I feel like that is what young adulthood especially is, is just like constantly faking that we have anything together in our lives. <laughs> um, and like, as soon as we all get together it's like that goes away. Like all of us know that we're just like a hot mess and we're just doing the best we can. And so all of that pretense is gone. Um, (laughs) But it's exactly like that. Like my my shoulders can relax. Yeah. It's fine. It's like a giant deep breath.
0: Yeah. And I think it's even bigger than that. I think the bravery that comes with having a rare disease and sharing your story and finding your community, I think it's more than a fake it till you make it. I think that you're all facing it until you make it.
1: Like that.
0: Ooh, you're just you're good at it. (laughs) So Anna, can you tell us about your own story and the diagnosis that you were given when you were a young child?
1: Yes, I have allergial syndrome, ALGS, if you want to throw another acronym, you know, in your book um, of acronyms. And it affects roughly one in 35 to 70,000. You know, the the wide range is because rare disease and diagnosis. (laughs) So it can affect all the major organ systems with a wide variety of severity. For example, there are some kiddos who end up having multiple organ transplants at a very, very young age just to survive. Whereas there's some who don't find out they have the disease until they have a child and their child has a more severe case. And so they end up getting diagnosed when their child does when they do genetic testing. For me, In my case, I'm a number four of five kids. Uh, My three older siblings are completely healthy, as is my younger brother. And so I was born and I was jaundiced, which, you know, is very, very normal for a lot of infants. I was also a preemie, so even more normal. Um, And then things just really weren't quite right. I wasn't gaining weight. Was it keeping any weight, and and so that's kind of when that search for a diagnosis began for my parents. Everything was fine; it was a normal pregnancy until I was born, and so it took them about six months to get a diagnosis. I believe it was three or four hospitals, I think it's four hospitals in three different states that they ended up having to go to wow. looking for a diagnosis. Yeah. And they had just moved like 10 plus hours away from family with years before that. So like all of our extended family was in South Louisiana, my parents were in Kentucky, but I received my diagnosis at Cincinnati Children's in Ohio. And, and you know, that's, that's kind of where the journey really began. You know, and honestly, at that point, they had only identified one gene that causes it, My parents, they tested me for it. I didn't have it. I ended up getting diagnosed through um, characteristics of the condition. So there is a variation in our vertebrae for a lot of us. They're butterfly-shaped. It has no effect on us, but it's a butterfly-shaped vertebrae. As well as a liver biopsy, so my liver is what's mainly affected, and so they had to diagnose me based on a couple of different characteristics. And yeah, so that's where the journey began. I um, have been to Cincinnati Children's up until they, you know, had to kick me out for being an adult. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, my parents, my parents went through the hardest medical part of my journey um, was when I was an infant and, and growing up and I was failure to thrive. I was all of those things. My liver just doesn't really work. It kind of does the opposite of what it's supposed to. And so gaining weight and keeping weight on was such an issue. Um, my parents were, you know, threatened with a feeding tube numerous times. My mom, they still have a scale that they had at home. Like I, she still has all the notebooks <laughs> um, of like when I was gaining weight and at what age, she still knows like the pound number that I wouldn't exceed. Like I think one of them is 17. She's like, you stayed on 17 pounds for so long. And I was like, I'm sorry, wow. <laughs> um, But wow. yeah, that's kind of where it started.
0: I connect with that so deeply. We had a scale at home for Ford and all of that stuff. And I remember yeah. the weights like in my head, I burned all that stuff. So <laughs> high five to your for keeping it. But I just imagine her driving her sweet little baby girl state to state. Ugh.
1: Oh, yeah. No, that was that was probably, you know, I, I say all the time that I'm, I'm very thankful that that part of my journey I was so young for, because I don't remember it. But I know like, you know, it was, it was very much life-threatening. There were a lot of times where, you know, they were told, you know, we we really don't know how long she's going to live. And, like, they have all of these, uh, my my siblings joke a little bit because my parents have all these really nice pictures that they had <laughs> made of me. <laughs> when I was an infant, like a little toddler, because they didn't know if I was going to live very long. And so they don't have <laughs> those same things for my siblings, which is funny now, like, to laugh about because I'm like, oh, I'm just so special. Clearly. Um, yeah, I mean, come on. I was so cute you. Uh, was super jaundice. Oh, not a cute look. Um but but yeah so my parents like that was the hardest part. You know, there was a couple times where they did almost lose me. And so but I don't remember any of it. I just know that I stuck around to keep annoying them for 25 plus years. <laughs> well you're kind of
0: the middle child so I think that's your job.
1: But, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I, I think I'm doing a good job at it too.
0: <laughs> so Luckily, you've, your parents finally found a doctor who maybe knew some of the signs and symptoms since it wasn't something that was diagnosed through a genetic test in the end.
1: Yes. Yeah, they were. Oh, my gosh. My mom says all the time that Dr. Balistrieri, he was the one who diagnosed me that he was legitimately just such a blessing. They were meant to find him and they almost didn't go. Because I had been sent from hospital to hospital and getting told the same thing, which I don't remember what the term was, but it was some term for liver issue. And my dad was like, we, we know this. Thank you. She is green. <laughs> we, we caught that. <laughs> what is happening? And so they were told, I think they were in, I believe they were either in a hospital in Kentucky or Tennessee. And they were, they were told to go to Cincinnati Children's. And my mom was like, you have got to be kidding me. That's six plus hours away. You know, we have three other kids, like, we're not going to drive and go that far just to be told the same thing again. And, you know, the doctor who was referring them was like, no, like, really, you need to go see him. I think I think he's who you need to talk to. And so Dr. Balasuri truly changed all of our lives. He still is, I'm sure. Such an amazing doctor. You know, it was funny because he got, you know, my mom was like, we wanted a diagnosis and so many rare disease families go through this. And I'm sure you all have too, but you think when you get a diagnosis, you're going, that's going to come with answers. And unfortunately, that's, that's not what happened. Um, You know, he was able to diagnose me, but, you know, he basically looked at my mom and my dad and said, you already know more about her particular case than anyone else. Yeah. Because of how greatly the severity varies, you know, 20 years ago, they, they didn't know, like everything was so different for everyone that trying to compare was just not really possible. And so he told my mom, he was like, you need to do what works for her and what works for you all and then tell me what works. And that was so empowering for my mom. You know, She, she says all the time how that was equally heartbreaking as well as empowering <laughs> in the same moment. Oh, I love that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's both of those things that you get, you know, when you're hoping for answers, you're told what you just said about, well, we don't really know that much more about it. And you're also told that you're doing all the right things. But to have the doctor also back it up with, I'm going to trust your gut. And so I'm going to let you be a teammate and maybe even a leader in this to let Mm -hmm. me know what your child needs is just such a find. I'm so glad that your family found that doctor.
1: Oh, my gosh, I know he is. He's uh, amazing. I can't imagine the difference. I mean, I know, I know that the impact that, that it has on other families um, that have been involved in the rare disease community, you know, to not have that is just oftentimes detrimental. So yes, so, so thankful for him.
0: So what was it like growing up with a rare disease? Did you have, did you have a lot of health issues that was impacting maybe your schoolwork or your friendships or anything like that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, in the grand scheme of alley syndrome, like my journey physically has been very, very mild. You know, the, the part that impacts me the most and, and has since I was a kiddo is a chronic itch. So I describe it as feeling like covered head to toe mosquito bites all the time. And that was that was honestly, you know, other than failure to thrive and, and absorbing and keeping on the weight, that was the thing that for me, that was the biggest impact, you know, and, and because I struggled to grow. I was also very small for my age. But growing up, you know, my parents raised me very much of not necessarily viewing it as a difference. And also with my older siblings, like that was just Anna, like Okay. Anna is smaller. Anna gets out of doing dishes because she's itching (laughs) conveniently when mom and dad need us to do (laughs) dishes. You're allowed
0: to use that when you're young. I'm sorry. Thank
1: you. I know. (laughs) So my parents really, they really raised all of us to not really see it as anything out of the ordinary. It's just, that's Anna. And so, you know, that I I joke that they, that was such an amazing thing, but also it also made it really hard when my classmates uh, were classmates and pointed out all of those differences to me. So bullying, as I'm sure you know, and I have probably experienced like is such a thing in the rare disease community and, and disability community. Um, and so I definitely went through that. You know, there's a lot of name calling for me being short. But really for the most part, you know, my parents really empowered me to speak up and, and you know to say what I needed. But then middle school was probably the darkest part for me. That was kind of the darkest part of my journey for myself. Um, and that was when the men- like mental health started to become a factor. You know, in middle school it's kind of when it hit me that my life was really, really impacted by my rare yes. disease. You know, I, I say that a lot of times when you're diagnosed really young. You know, your parents are forced to grieve and and go through that whole process all at once. You know, like and just survival mode and all of that. But when you have it yourself and you you do get to keep living, which is amazing. But it also means that that process happens so much slower and gradually because you don't know any different. And so middle school was when it really hit me that I was ever given a prognosis, and I started to actually pay attention in doctor's appointments and and was starting to just get really sad and depressed. Now looking back, like, you know, we know that's what it was, was that, you know, all my friends was like, talk about like going to college and getting married and all these things, you know, like, like teenage girls do. And I was sitting there and being like, I don't know if I can do that. And that was really, really hard um, to deal with. And so that was that was in middle school was the first time that we went to a symposium for my disease and I got to meet other kids with with allergy syndrome. Um, And that's, that's really when that community and that connection really started to truly save my life, you know, was meeting other kids scratching their feet on the carpet, um, just like I do, and things like that. (laughs) My dad calls it called it my little dance. For me, that was the hardest part was the mental health side. I think that's kind of always been the hardest part for me, which often surprises people, (laughs) because it's a, you know, it's a rare disease, but I don't know any different, you know,
0: That doesn't surprise me at all, Anna. And I, you know, I hear you saying that your rare disease is so mild, but it's almost like that is something that also kind of pushed down how you were supposed to be feeling or how you thought you should be feeling, because maybe you don't have it as bad as someone else in the rare disease community. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's so much more of a gap between people who have no clue And someone who, quote, has a mild form of their rare disease, it's a huge impact no matter how mild it is. And especially being young, that's incredible that you were able to find your way through that Mm
1: -hmm. and be able to
0: talk about it and empower other young kids who are going through the exact same
1: stuff probably. Yeah, that was a huge part of it, right, was, you know, now that I'm older, I realized like it was toxic positivity that I was Mm. experiencing of like, oh, but you're so blessed, like it's so much mild, you never had a transplant and it was getting told these things by people outside of the family in, in a very loving, and a place of love and care and, and never, you know, bad intent whatsoever. But, you know, of course that, that feeds into, well, then I shouldn't be sad. I shouldn't be upset. And it's kind of become this, you know, this thing where I just decided, you know, it really changed for me in college. It's kind of when I started to find the words for, for what was happening and, and what I was dealing with. And just, you know, beginning to realize and accept that my rare disease journey is also my mental health journey. And that's okay.
0: Yeah. I think those things go hand in hand for anyone living with a rare disease. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really powerful when you can notice it and, you know, move through it. However that is and how whatever the timing is and whatever that means for the person In the thick of it. And I think sharing your story, especially about depression, and you know, what led it, what led you there and what helped you, I don't know if you've got out of it, or however you would say something like that when you're kind of taking care of yourself.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I can I can expand on that, of course you know a lot of, I've shared it quite a bit with other young adults and you know my depression really started with that grief of of all these things that were taken away from me from my disease you know and that was a quote unquote normal life and of course that's what every teenager wants and then you know once i found out that my my gene was was more than likely dominant You know, oh, well, that took away my dream of always having a big, loud family, biologically, you know, healthy, just, you know, just like everyone else, you know, and all of this grief and all of this loss. And then once I really got into a better place with that, you know, I got heavily involved in my rare disease community, but that turned into then me watching infants and children die from my disease and me being in college and living a very, very normal life compared to so many others, and that survivor skills yeah. is actually what what really forced me um, to go to go to therapy. Um, which I laugh at that because now I'm so glad that I did. You know that kind of is what kickstarted me to really get rid of and work through the shame around what I was feeling, and and realizing like it was okay to get help. And you know between therapy and and just I have an amazing, amazing support system, both in and out of the rare disease and, and allergy syndrome community that really are the reason why, like, I'm still here today, to be quite honest with you. You know, they loved me through that. And they, you know, even for, for those who weren't in the rare disease community, who, you know, can't fully understand just being there and supporting that was such a huge deal. And even more so now, like, during everything we're going through now, like, it's kind of happening, um, again, in a, on a smaller scale for me of, oh, another unknown thing to navigate. <laughs> <laughs> And having those friends really helped.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm so glad that you had all of that support. It's so important to just have, I mean, so much more than just yourself too, right? Like sometimes Uh you have to call upon the outside circle in whatever way it is, even even if you're ignoring them, but you know they're there. It's life-saving for you and for so many other people. Yes. So like after college and you started to realize that, hey, this rare disease is just layer upon layer upon layer and blow upon blow upon blow just differently Mm -hmm. and maybe coming to me in different ways that I didn't expect. Is that what led you to want to become an advocate and to be a part of helping young people?
1: I think that really started for me when I was in college, um, I got heavily heavily involved in, in my rare disease community and I you know looking back it was definitely a coping skill at that point. It was you know, I can't control my disease, but I can control what I do. You know, I still don't have a prognosis. It, it kind of made me decide that I'm gonna do everything I can while I can because if I'm gonna if I'm gonna get to live so much longer than so many others in our rare disease community, like I'm gonna make it, I'm going to make it worthwhile. And and that is really what has, what has really kept me going. And it's not easy being an advocate by any means, as I'm sure you know. You know, being an advocate for myself is natural. I've always done that. You know, being an advocate in my own rare disease community is, again, pretty easy. I know a lot of people in it were friends and things like that. But then taking it to that next level of... I want to go beyond my rare disease. And I want to go beyond rare disease is really scary. You know, I've I spoke at the first scientific meeting for my rare disease. And I was in a room full of some of the smartest people <laughs> I've ever known. And I was I think a sophomore or a junior in college, you know, like, I think like the week before that, you know, I had been like, pulling an all nighter for like a midterm, like just ridiculous. Like, what am I doing here? (laughs) (laughs) These people have gone to school for after lives. Their IQ is like exponentially (laughs) higher than mine. What in the world do I have to say? And, you know, through that terrifying experience, um, you know, I think that's kind of where I found, you know, my trick of being someone told me, you know, no one can take away from your experience no one can argue with that. There's no research that has to back your experience. And I think that that combined with my desire to make an impact and make a difference while I can is what keeps me going and what helps me navigate all of the different layers because I'm I'm finding new layers to living with a rare disease every single day. And I think that's what keeps me going and doing that preach Anna you just made my (laughs) cheeks
0: hurt I was smiling so big for you thinking of you in that room talking so
1: awesome it was actually terrifying (laughs) No, it's funny
0: because even though it's terrifying it's like we do these things that we would have never imagined ourselves doing and we do really go into them like head first and while it's terrifying it's also so courageous and like you do feel equipped in a way even if you're like being stared at by scientists and doctors, like you do bring something to the table. And there's that.
1: Yes, no, exactly. And I think, you know, it's really funny. I didn't when I was in college, I I just really didn't tell a lot of people what I was doing. Because, you know, People then assumed I really had my life more together. (laughs) I was like, no, 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 no. Still eating like leftovers from probably a very questionable amount of time and procrastinating homework. I'm just then going to like fly off to California, Mm. speak at the scientific meeting, um, stress about how do I dress for that? That's not a thing anyone tells you how to do in college. And then I'll be back in a few days. Like, (laughs) like, it's such a not normal, but I feel like normal thing for so many of us in the community. yes,
0: yes, it's just something that you have to laugh about, even though it is so awesome and you are so capable and strong. but it is funny. What has been like one of your most like most moving experiences so far that you've had after joining the rare disease community?
1: Oh, all right, I'm gonna cry. I'm uh, gonna tell you that I'm now. already crying,
0: I'm always crying, oh
1: okay, I'm gonna join you okay. then. Um, <laughs> I have a not-really-but-sister who I connected with via Facebook. I think this year it was—actually, this summer will be six years ago we connected. Um, She's another young adult with my disease. Her name is Shami, and she's in India. And we both commented on the same Facebook post six years ago of a mother who had just received the diagnosis for her child. And she basically had just posted about, you know, like— Just in that grief area of that, of my child's never gonna live a normal life, just all of these worries, just in a post. And I commented and said, you know, a very honest, but, you know, comment of, you know, it is gonna be hard. Like, it's gonna be very, very hard. And it's not gonna get easier in a lot of ways but your child is going to live a life and it's going to be a fulfilling one. And it's going to be an amazing one, no matter how long that life is. And Shammy also commented and it was, and it was a very similar, like, here's the truth, not going to sugarcoat it, but also it's going to be okay. And I don't remember who messaged who, we've tried to look back. But we've messaged so much, <laughs> we can't find it. And this friendship just blossomed. Just one of those things where, you know, it truly was meant to be. We started messaging and we realized that we're basically the same people. Um, <laughs> but on different sides of the world, and I think it was 2 years ago now, I actually got to me and Shammy got to meet in person for the first Yay. time. And, you know, we had, we have gotten, we had gotten at that point, we had gotten each other through heartbreak. And, um, you know, we had started a young adults Facebook support group for those with allergial syndrome that was private, was the first of its kind, we had lost two to three members within, uh, within two years of doing it, it was really hard, like we had, we had really gotten each other through so many things, and had always just said, like, I'm sending you hugs. I'm sending you hugs. I'm sending you hugs, and I will never forget. Um, it was it was so cheesy and disgusting when <laughs> I think about it. But it was the most cliche movie moment. Of I was at the airport. Her like her flight was later, and she is we are running towards each other like all it would have taken with us to like have been in love like romantically. Like it would have been a movie, except that we're both sobbing like just. Ugly crying. <laughs> and like, also, we both had been flying. She'd been flying for days at this point to go from India to South Dakota, which is where we ended up meeting. And she, like, no, neither one of us looked cute. Like, there was nothing cute about us <laughs> in that moment. And us, like, we hugged and we did not let go. And it was four years of love and affection and anger and frustration <laughs> and all of those things in this one hug. And it was. Oh my gosh, it was one of the like happiest moments I think like I know I would never have had if it wasn't for having my disease. Ugh,
0: Anna, I love that story so much. Two things. I love a rom-com, especially <laughs> the cliche airport running ones. Oh, they're the best. And two, you brought her from across the world and put her in South Dakota.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> okay. That was me. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Are you ready to laugh? So we were both (laughs) we were both on the board of the Allogene Syndrome Alliance, which is the um, patient advocacy organization for my rare disease. And so the year before that, we had done Rare Disease Day. It was that scientific meeting we had done Rare Disease Day in California in San Diego. Okay, and so the following year, we get an email saying we're going to SD, and we're like, oh my gosh. We're going back to Cali. What up? Like we're all like, excited. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Shammy, you're gonna love it, blah blah Like we are talking it up. And then we find out we have to go to South Dakota. That is so in messed up. February. Oh god,
0: that's so messed up.
1: It was even better is Shammy was more happy with that because it, there was a stinking blizzard Ugh. while we were there. And I really hate snow. Like, I'm good one, pretty snow, and I'm out. Like, all right, that was pretty. That was cool. That was fun. That's enough. Shammy loves it. So I, we room together. So every morning, she would get up like a child and be like, let's go play in the snow. I'm like, let's not. And say we did because it's cold outside. She loved it, like absolutely loved it. Fell on her butt a couple times from ice because she had like never experienced like black ice on like driveways before. Oh my gosh! <sighs> it, I love that. Yeah, that's how. So yeah, we flew her across the world to go to South Dakota. Shout out to Sanford Research; they're the ones who we got to meet a researcher actually doing research on our condition. But shout out to to Ben Ford with them because I give him a hard time every time I see him that I had to spend a February trip in South Dakota.
0: <laughs> yeah, and no offense to our South Dakotans. I'm from Montana, so you're basically my sibling. It's okay. Don't worry. Yeah, well,
1: no 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 hate, but also <laughs> y'all's weather is not the best. That's
0: so funny. <laughs> so, I just have one more question for you, asking for a friend. So, you, coming from someone who grew up with a rare disease, you you have a unique perspective. And I was wondering if you have any advice for parents like me of things we could do differently or maybe do
1: Better. Yes, I do. So, a lot of parents, so I've been asked this before by ALGS parents, and they normally don't like the answer. And then their child comes back and they're like, thanks. i like, I got your back. <laughs> but one of them is just to remember that they are a kid first. And, you know, I don't want to take anything away from parents and caregivers because truly you all go through the hardest and scariest parts of this disease for us at times when we're not able to communicate what's happening. And that takes unspeakable amounts of strength to do that. But also remembering that when we get a little bit older and we're able to make our own decisions and we're able to, to have interests and hobbies, we're still a kid and we still need to be able to do some of those things. And to let your child live their life and, and to know that if they do get hurt or they do something stupid, which they will do, it just depends on when you'll find out about that stupid <laughs> thing they did. But to know that that is not a testament to you as a, as a parent or as a caregiver, that's a testament to your child doing something normal. Mm. And normalcy is so hard to find when you're growing up with a rare disease. And so I think, I think that's that first one is just remembering that your child is a child first and that they don't know any different like they don't know this this life that maybe you had planned for them or these these hopes and dreams you had for them they don't they don't know that they're just they're just there and so keeping that in mind you know and i and i think the other thing is to really validate and acknowledge that sometimes there aren't words for what you as caregivers or as your child are experiencing sometimes there aren't it's hard to find those words Um, You know, that's something that looking back, I realize like I'm finding words now for things I experienced as a kiddo that even like my mom taught, like we talk so often about things that looking back, we're like, oh my gosh, that is what was happening. Or that's exactly how to say that. That's what we were feeling like for both of us. But when you're in that moment, it's so frustrating to not be able to express what you're feeling or what's going on. And so I think saying that can be really helpful and can really also empower your child to know that it's okay to not know the words to describe what's happening that not knowing is going to be a regular part of their life and so normalizing that is really important I feel and I think the last thing is you know also cut yourself a break you are doing the absolute best that you can. There is not a manual, there should be, but there's not a manual that comes when you're a parent. Like, that would be fantastic. It would be a bestseller in the rare disease community, but there's not. And so I think also remembering that you know what is best for your child and that is all that matters. So... Even with support groups, I have a hard time sometimes when when parents start to one up each other or this works better and this works better. And it's, you know, I get really frustrated with that because your child is your child. And what works best for your kiddo is what matters. And what works best for someone else's kiddo is what matters. Knowing that. Your child is never gonna look back. Like, even now, like, me and my mom have very open and honest conversations about some really hard things that looking back could have been done differently. But it's never about, I'm never angry with her, and because I know that she did the best she could, and that every parent with a healthy kid does that also, So, like, cut yourself a break because you're doing the best you can and you're doing a phenomenal job. Whether you know it or not, I'm here to tell you it's a fact. You can't argue with it. Sorry (laughs) about that, but.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Anna. Those are wise and really thoughtful nuggets of wisdom. I really appreciate it. And I'm glad that it's recorded so a lot of us can go back and re-listen to that part.
1: (laughs) Whenever you're having a rough day or your kid is fighting on medication. (laughs) like, Anna said I'm doing good. Anna said, I'm doing great. Like that one chick from Kentucky. Like, yes, you're doing fantastic. No, I really appreciate it.
0: I think that's so important. And I think it's really easy to forget in just, you know, the whole scheme of things of just letting them be kids. And I think that's really important. So thanks for the reminder. Well, I'm really excited to see where your advocacy journey takes you throughout the rare disease world, Anna. And hopefully one day our paths will cross in person. And oh my gosh, maybe at the airport and I could steal your guys's scene. (laughs)
1: <laughs> we will we will time it I'll try not to ugly cry but no promises I get a little bit emotional when I meet great people so it's funny. fine
0: all right thanks so much for joining me today Anna It was really fun to yes. talk to you
1: thank you so
0: so much I hope you've been enjoying this podcast if you like what you hear please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story, or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.
1: (laughs)